Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close... You can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls because I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give them the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like them. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. All right, man. This is the first. Uh, this is the this is the first session we've ever done in Miles City, Montana. I've sat at this table for a few other sessions before, but not just general podcast. General bull, bullshit. Yep, moving to the big league. Mile City Town of nine thousand has had nine thousand people living in it for about one hundred years. Just doesn't. It just. It just We're doesn't. Stable here. It just doesn't change. <laughs> stable place. So the uh, we I'm gonna get to who's who, who. That's my older brother Matt's voice. Um. But first, I, there's a order. There's a little bit of business to take care of. Okay, and then the other thing is, I don't know. Is a little bit of a uh, discourse on the main negatives of um, raising uh, game animals for food. Oh yeah. So here's the main negative. There's aesthetics, right? Which I care about a great deal, but it's hard to. It's like. It's hard to argue someone from the ground up. Aesthetics is hard. It's it's like it's hard to explain to someone who's asking a pragmatic question. So we'll leave aesthetics in like matters of the heart and spiritual issues aside. Um, disease vectors. We have a lot of problem with moving uh, wildlife diseases around. Wildlife diseases thrive in densely packed populations of animals that are having oftentimes unnatural contact with one another. 
Um, and the way mad cow disease and other, some other things has moved around is between contact from pen-raised animals and wild animals. Um, you put a bunch of deer in a farm, they all get sick. Wild deer come up, stick their nose through the fence. There you have it. It also raises like some interesting historical questions like, you can't just go out and catch a deer, okay? You can't go out and catch a deer and make it yours. But <laughs> at a time, that happened, you know? So um, it, it just kind of subverts what I think is makes wildlife beautiful. And when you're selling wildlife to people, you're sort of taking a set, a, 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 an established thing of value, and it has value to us because it's wild, and you're capitalizing on that value and selling a false version of it. That's the aesthetic part. Yeah, yeah, I never thought about that, but it's very true. Uh, back to Miles City. So I'm going I'm to lay a transition on you guys. It's going to blow your mind, so be prepared for that. But uh, Miles City um, takes its name from a fellow by the name of General Miles. Miles City sits in Custer County, which takes its name from a fellow named George Brigadier General George Armstrong Custer. And in Miles City is a place called Fort Keogh, which is a federal livestock and range research laboratory. And Fort Keogh takes its name from a fellow by the name of Miles Keogh. In around the time of our nation's, not around the time, during our nation's, well, about a week ahead of our nation's first centennial, in June, late June of 1876, um, General, Brigadier General, that means he's not a real general. So there was so much attrition of generals during the Civil War that they had to give some dudes temporary generalships, thinking that they would stock back up, the army I'm talking about, would stock back up with real generals. And then, you know, the Brigadier Generals would go back to being whatever they were, colonels. So Brigadier General, George Armstrong Custer, who everybody knows has the long That's hair. That's I didn't know. I never knew what what, that, a, what a brigadier meant. Yeah, it's like, it a, like a, a poser general. Poser general. General. Uh, Custer, coming out of his Civil War fame, famous also for having long hair, but had just gotten a haircut. Comes out to this area with short hair about, you know, a week or so prior to the nation's centennial, and his task is to be rounding up Sioux and Northern Cheyenne Indians who have not come into their reservations yet. And everybody knew that they were fixing for a big fight. Um, and Indians who were living on reservations were so excited about the upcoming fight that some of them were even leaving reservations for the simple thing to go out and fight soldiers who were there to round up hostiles and bring them into the reservations. Just like now in the war in Afghanistan, we talk about the fighting season because the Taliban doesn't fight in the winter, generally. Um, summer was the fighting season. So Custer comes out to this area, has some uh, Crow scouts, some Arikara scouts who were allied with the whites, with our army. Um, they were lifelong enemies, um, historic enemies with the Sioux and Northern Cheyenne. They find a big encampment of Sioux and Northern Cheyenne, so big, that um, turns out it was the largest collection of Plains Indians to have ever occurred, occurred before or after. The scouts found this, and they're like, man, it's way too big. There's no way we can go down in there. Custer didn't, no one knows what he was thinking. Custer rides down in there with a couple hundred of his soldiers, 7th Cavalry, under his command, 
and uh, they just get slaughtered quick. The Indians later, a lot of them became famous who participated in the battle. Later they said, when we were talking about Custer riding down into our camp after it happened, we all thought the only explanation was that they were all drunk. It made so little sense. A guy named Gall, they asked him, how long did the fight take? He says, it took about, a long, about as long as it takes a hungry man to eat his dinner, is how long it took them to wipe out Custer and his 200 soldiers. Then they spent a long time uh, mutilating all the, the carcasses. The next day, when some guys were riding up the valley, they're riding up the Little Bighorn, which the Indians called the Greasy Grass, and they get to the battlefield, and they're assuming that Custer went in there and won. And they look off, and they see all these uh, white and red, bloody kind of things going on. And they thought, it looked to them as though the white, bloody stuff was buffalo carcasses, and the brown patches were buffalo hides. And they thought, oh, Custer caught them in the middle of a buffalo hunt and run them off while they were skinning carcasses. And they ride over there, and what they were looking at, the brown patches were dead horses, and the white bloody patches were stripped human carcasses. And they would do such things as, they would want to make your afterlife miserable. So they would cut your trigger fingers off so you couldn't shoot. They'd gash your thighs so you couldn't run. They'd cut your dick and balls off and stuff it in your mouth. So Which you, is some cold-blooded yeah, shit. So you couldn't make love. Um, a woman by the name of or, Big Nose or Kate. eat, really, I mean. Yeah, because there you are every time you go to eat. <laughs> a woman by the name of Big Nose Kate uh, claimed that she took a sewing awl, a northern Cheyenne woman, and, and jabbed it into Custer's ears um, and to, to puncture his eardrums because her father had warned him, do not mess with us. And she thought that he would have better hearing in the afterlife if she were to add an extra perforation into the side of his head. Other historians think that they, could, they didn't know it was Custer. They knew Custer had long hair, but he had just had a haircut. Reason I'm bringing He's all this up. portrayed with long hair. Even. Yeah, but he, went, he rode into that battle with short hair. Remember that, like that uh, uh, root beer stand? Yeah, Custer's last stand. Yeah, over by, where was that? Belgrade or yeah, we saw always talk about stealing, stealing that sign. sign. I think we, we even went and sussed it out one time, but it was pretty well fixed. Yeah, very well fixed. His sign. Yeah, Custer, yeah, in that he had long hair. In movies, he's always portrayed in long hair. His he cut his hair off, and his wife Libby had a wig made from it. Mm. Um. Point being, there's two bodies that did not get mutilated. One. Uh was buried under a pile of dead horses and they think it just was too much of a hassle to drag them out of there and chop them up. Two, Captain Miles Keough mm. was not mutilated. Hmm. And here's that transition I was telling y'all about. And here's my brother works at, works at Fort Keough. Okay, at Fort Keough. Uh, Do you guys ever talk about Miles down there? No, we don't talk about any of this stuff ever. It'd be interesting to see how many of my coworkers could even... Um, recite half of the facts that you just recited about the history of Fort Keogh. Um, so, is there any speculation on why yeah. why they didn't mutilate Keogh? Yeah. He um, had some. He was an Irishman, a heavy drinker, and he was wearing some kind of uh, Celtic. I guess I'd have to look it back up, but some kind of like Celtic Christiany combo type emblem around his neck and it's speculated that 
like, like it was like an adorned, I can't remember, some kind of adorned cross or something. And it was speculated that he, um, they didn't recognize that. They speculated that he might have been some kind of uh, religious figure. Is is one thing that he might have been that he might have been uh, had some uh, some medicine, yeah, right. And they didn't and they didn't mutilate him. Uh, now there was a so there was a guy, a crow guy named Curly, who claimed that he w- witnessed the battle and escaped. Most people believe that um, he left the night before. Mm. got yellow mm. and left the night before gall the guy that said uh how long it took that it took as long as it takes a hungry man to eat his meal um he later met curly and he told curly if you're telling me that you escaped after that battle you must have turned into a bird is the only explanation because <laughs> he was not buying he said they killed everything but they messed up because a horse got away mm. a horse by the name of comanche got away with uh something like nine wounds hmm um that's for keel i just learned something interesting about uh was it brigadier general brigadier general george armstrong keel was he just a captain captain okay so you know if you think about the years between um the indian wars in the west and world war one like if you think of the years it starts to bleed together oh man but it just like in the in my mind and i suspect it's this way for others you think of them as being way far apart but uh i guess captain keo was instrumental in uh in general jack pershing um black jack pershing uh making his way through the ranks to become the commanding general in World War One, he was like, "Oh, he's a promising young man." Really? Yeah, because uh, Blackjack Pershing is the guy that tried to go down and catch Pancho Villa. Right. They must have um, uh, collaborated on some kind of project, some yep. military projects in the West, and uh, and Keo was a big advocate for for him. Now, if you if you listeners get done with this and you're like, what should I do now? If you want to hear a good song, um, go listen to Tonight We Ride, which is about Black Jack Pershing's pursuit of Pancho Villa, which proved fruitless. Mm. Um, rode down yeah, in Mexico. Yeah, you sent me that song. Yeah, so. rode down into yeah. Mexico into the mountain range known as God's Middle Finger, the uh, Sierra Madre. And couldn't find him. Um, and then Tonight We Ride kind of follows the uh, lives of a number of people who who uh, ride with Pershing and um, don't catch Pancho Villa. Pancho Villa, I don't, he, made, he lived till the 30s and then was assassinated um, in a car. So. In Mexico? Yes. Oh. So, uh llamas how how many how many pack llamas do you own right now boy we just jumped right we just kind of jumped into this that, whole thing. i did a good segue earlier and then i got just tired of segues i thought there'd be like a 20 <laughs> minute like where we talk about like i this my as being my first four, uh podcast i was just curious like did these get edited at all Mm-mm. Mm. 
Now, there, there's cases in which it would get edited. Like if, if I said something extremely racist no. or something. Yes. That would be edited. Or if you which I wouldn't. said something that was like way off and then you said, man. Can you take that out? Like if all of a sudden I realized that. Uh, like if I started talking about how much I didn't like our mother or something like that, you might. No, I would unless you change your mind. But let's say I always. Oh, Mom, I love you. That was just a hypothetical. Yeah. But let's say I went and uh, realized that uh, Kath and Keo, in fact, had been mutilated and um, had his junk stuffed into his mouth. <laughs> I would. <laughs> then yeah. I would probably like, be yeah. like, oh, man, well, now I got to go edit I'm that I'm glad out. you guys are responsible like that and you try to keep it. What will factual. often happen, too, is uh, sometimes, not often, but now and then we'll have like a person on whose job it is to know something. Oh. And then in in the asking of like a hundred things, he might get they'll get rattled or whatever, yeah. and and they'll not know something, and then and then be like, dude, please, it's just so embarrassing. Yeah, it's rare though. It really very is. rare. You, and you've demonstrated you demonstrated the occasional cuss word is not bad. Yeah, but I wouldn't go out of your way. Right, right. Um, how about like, um, can I sing? copyrighted songs if that's like, a if very I just, good question there's like a there's a there's a limit i know that there's a you know like if you quote a song in a book which i've done there's a it's it's spelled out in in good detail um how many lines you can use under like a fair mm, use thing really now here's wow. the interesting here's the interesting thing if you were gonna say let's say you uh were in a situation where you were gonna say you know it's interesting uh, how llamas have been treated in popular music over the years. Mm. And I'm now going to recite and sing a handful of songs in a way that will demonstrate a point and illustrate something about like the facile nature of culture and, and sort of the collective experience we all have and understanding something. Then you would be able to go and rip through a bunch of copyrighted material and possibly be covered under a fair use thing. Oh, because which, I'm using it for demonstrative purposes? Yes. Or oh, yeah. Wow, it's very complicated. Yeah, it is. And we don't have that kind of... So I remember once when I was in... I would have been in my late teens, early 20s. I went and saw uh, a Blood, Sweat, and Tears reunion concert. Yeah. And uh, the guy was talking about how... Millie Vanilli had just stole one of his riffs and yeah. he was all excited because <laughs> he got enough money from the settlement to redo his kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? You talked about that yeah, in front of everybody. Yeah. Spinning wheel, got to go. Oh, I hope that's not too many lines. No, no, you definitely didn't cross, you definitely didn't cross the line there. And it's usually good practice to credit it. Oh, that so was even if you years. if you were writing a book and you want to share like some lyrics, okay. When I was doing, uh, I did a book and I wanted to talk about the song "Putting on the Ritz," right? So mm -hmm. in there you'd say like Irving Berlin, okay, wrote a song, and in the song or said these words, and you're attributing it, and then you can, there's a, then there's a limit on how much you can get away with. You, mm -hmm. It's like the same way that you can quote, um, you can quote a book at length, right? Oh, right. Yeah. But, long, yeah, but you can't just like quote be like a dirty trick where you just say like, "Here's a book for you. Here's a quote for you," and then just put the whole book in. Right, right, right. Yeah. So are you are you now cool to proceed with the? 
Yeah, I only know of one song with the llama in it, and it's uh, a Frank Sinatra song. And I don't even know the name of it, but he says something about llamas in Peru or something like mm. that. Do you know that's about a good, That's a good clean segue. Watch this, Yanni. So uh, aren't llamas native to Peru? I don't. Well, the fact that you asked me, oh, why, yes, they are. Okay, yes, they sorry. Are. I thought it was a trick question for oh, a no. second there. Let me just tell you, because I know this, uh, that was quick, but let me just say what the main thing I want to talk about after, after a lengthy preamble. I want to talk about um, like your sort of personal voyage with llamas. Mm. Not mm-hmm. that that's the not that that's like uh, the only interesting thing about you, but I think it's just the thing that um, I'm, I'm comfortable with my like, llamas being like, the most like interesting thing about just, me. Like that, people just generally do not know about. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think within that, um, there's a lot that brings out a lot of things about your personality, your approach to life. Okay. Mm. Um, your your kind of uh, journey as a as an elk hunter, right? I feel that it's like a thing that sort of captures all that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want me to? Well, yeah. Start with um, sciatica. Yeah, I started. Uh, I remember it was after um, a moose hunt with you and Danny and, and a couple other guys. Uh, who was it? Dan Rafferty, right? Hardcore Jeffy. Yeah. Matt Rafferty. Matt Rafferty, yeah. Um. And after that, I just, I thought I had a a torn hamstring. And it, after four or five months of physical. Where did that hurt? Oh. Pretty far down your leg? From my ass to my knee and my left leg. Okay. Interestingly enough, that it's it tends to afflict the left leg more than the right. Oh. For you or... For everybody, Across in general, because I have yeah. a pain right now, and that you just made me nervous when you said where it was. Oh, mine's in my right. Well, that doesn't rule it out. You probably got a herniated disc. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Know. I got to run. <laughs> um, I'm always fascinated by stuff like that. That's like, uh, um, asymmetric in the human or in, a, in the yeah, I guess in the human body because it's just. I know our hearts on one side, and but. Like what do you mean? But, but, oh, that that something what, would te- uh, restless oh, leg that would tend, syndrome that it would tend yeah. to be in a certain leg. Restless leg t- syndrome is the same way. It tends to be in the left leg, and I'm like, wow, mine mine occurs in my that? right leg. Oh, I wonder if my heart's on the other side. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, that that is that is puzzling. Yeah, but keep- your body is. It's weird that your body is like a little out of whack, and that your that your uh, heart is displaced off center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, neck problems are more common on the right, I've learned, because I have some neck issues now. I don't know. It's just, I'm sure there's, obviously there's good explanations for all this stuff, but it just makes you realize that things are more complicated than you. You're at a point in life where, um, where you're starting to kind of fall apart a little bit. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm I'm probably well, forty five percent the man I used to be, but 
that's still most more man than most people. Yeah, but I don't think you're that low. But just as far as having this disc, yeah, if that's problem. if that's true, then by golly, you must have been hard to keep up with ten <laughs> years ago. <laughs> oh yeah, indestructible, um, indestructible. No, my problems have been well behaved lately. I'm feeling. Are you doing better? Frisky, yeah. Because for a while, Matt, uh, his one of his arms shrank. It's still shrunk. Yeah, hasn't come back. I can like you know how you do those where it's like a football throw where you got your hand behind your head and you're extending your arm upwards with a weight in it. Yeah. On my left, I can do 10 reps of that with 35 pounds, no problem. But with my wilted arm, because it's my tricep that's wilted, it's 20 pounds, and it's a bitch. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it's still... But the pain isn't as bad. I don't know. Well, so, we don't want... Yeah, but back up to the sciatica. So, yeah, I, uh, I started getting... Uh, this pain in my left leg. It took a long time to and, diagnose. And you and thought you'd mess it up carrying moose quarters. I know I did. Mm. Danny and I, Danny and you and I ended up at this moose carcass. I don't know how. I think he was up there and he shot it up and off the river. We were camped on a remember, river. Remember that? Yeah. And um, he shot a moose. And I think you and I, he came back down and found us. And we all three went up there and carried a bunch out. And we loaded up three backpacks, and I don't remember. Somebody couldn't carry theirs, and I ended up carrying theirs for them, and we traded. No. Yes. Was it me? I probably Danny. No. Really? Yeah. And I was like, I'll show these sons of bitches. And well, it the was reason so – We've reason, carried some heavy shit. The reason that I was know, like – Yeah, but here's why I know that you're a little bit messed up. Because there was no situation where someone went and killed a bull and came back and got people. I am telling you, it was the three of us carrying Danny's moose. He shot the first moose on that trip. I was laying right next to him when he shot it. Oh, well, then I ended up. Oh, well, then he didn't come back down. Okay, I was messed up on that. Yeah. But we were all there at the carcass. We were all there at the carcass. I watched him shoot that. I have no recollection of that. I still remember. Uh, it maybe, came from way off. It kept coming, 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 maybe coming. Maybe the coming. spinal trauma of carrying it like somehow rattled my brain. So you're saying that someone said I can't carry my pack. I yeah. I was. I, I it was you. It's, you said. I'm. It's coming back to me now. You said. I I, I, I help I, take Danny's pack. He is struggling, and I took it. His whole it, pack. Well, he took mine. He just ended up with a bigger. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, that's more plausible. Yeah. And uh, it was the next day that I was like, things are different with my body. And, you know, I, I, I live for that stuff, you know, so uh, for going in the backcountry and hunting, that's like, that's what keeps me going. So I knew I had to change something. And when I started getting, when I started thinking about llamas, I was thinking of them as, um, just a quieter version of a quad runner that you could take into a wilderness area. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of them as uh, just an instrument for carrying heavy items. Yeah, because you don't have a lick of, at the time, you didn't have like a lick of uh, of, of livestocky interest. Well... 
You've developed I had it. At that time that I got those llamas, I had two chickens. Oh, yeah, that's true. And I fell in love that's with true. them. That's true. I fell in love with those chickens. And, and you initially kicked around the idea of um, more traditional pack stock. Mm, did I? Or did you not seriously consider that? I thought I you, thought, I I went thought, you right thought to about mules. Thought about mules. Oh. Yeah, maybe. I don't remember. But, but uh, pretty quickly settled on. Now, what I don't like about a mule is um, I find that, that kind of like hunting, horses and mules and stuff is like the kind of thing that if you don't grow up around it, it's very, I think it would be very hard to catch up. Oh, yeah. To someone that did. More so, I mean, horses I know are, from my wife, I know are extremely dangerous. Yeah. My wife has a guest ranch and uh, she strongly discourages me from interacting with horses for packing purposes. Um, Cause but I know, but mules are supposed to be way more uh, dangerous. They can, I guess they have some kind of joint configuration that allows them to kick in not just straight back, but to the side. And for, I don't right? know. Yeah. Yeah. They scare me. And the thing about it is like in, in time I've spent with people who grew up around them, when they're looking at one, they're seeing something a lot different than what I see when I look at one. Mm. That, oh. I think they're cute. But, oh, yeah, yeah. But they're like, oh, no, he's like in a kind of bad mood Whoa, right yeah, now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's, yeah. I wouldn't Why go near. That way with yeah, horses, he, you can yeah. tell he's got like. He's a little bloated, kind of in a bad mood. Mm. And I'm, I'm like, just, you're just looking like at a damn like, mule. Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> looks exactly. like the same mule that was there an hour ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was in this guy's shop getting something welded. If, this is like 10 years ago. And he had all these pictures of, he had riding mules that he hunted in the mountains with. And uh, he, I started asking him about them. And he said, yeah, last last year i don't know maybe two years ago he said i had to get rid of them all and he he was borderline kind of breaking down a little bit right in front of me and i just had met the man and he said yeah it's just too dangerous when you're get a little older and your and your reflexes aren't as good really yeah it's like hunting he spent his whole life with them and he's like but mm, nah Sounds like he's hunting with mountain lions or something instead of. <laughs> yeah. One of my earliest, uh, I don't really call him a hunting mentor, but when I moved to Colorado, he was a fellow that owned a uh, small, like, <clears throat> hunting and fishing shop. and uh, Like a retail space. Yeah. And um, he gave me good advice early on where to go find some rabbits. One of my favorite fishing stretches. Divulged his rabbit spot. Hmm? Divulged his rabbit spot. And uh, I think he could have cared less, <laughs> but he did divulge a really that. nice uh, trout river. And uh, anyways, he sold his uh, business. And I think like within months was on a horse, lost it, hit his head, died. Oh, is that right? Really? Good thing you got that rabbit spot when you did. He'd have carried it with him. That's coincidence, but you know yeah kind of proves that point <laughs> um this show is brought to you in part by better help now we all carry around different stressors big ones little ones when you keep these things bottled up it can start to affect you in a very negative way well therapy is a great space to get things off your chest 
and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Like, figure it out. That means figure it out with someone who's impartial, who's able to sit down and hear what you have to say and think it through with you. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Listen, there's no there's no such thing. It's like you're not so tough. You're not so tough that it doesn't do you some good to talk to somebody now and then about what's on your mind, okay? Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash meat eater today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H E L P.com slash meat eater. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off road map and navigation app is the best to find off road trails and off grid camping and to use fully functional GPS when you're out of service. And as we all know, that being out of service is usually where the best places start. Plus, there's color coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is it allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Just download the map ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. I've been using OnX for many years. I use it, I'm not joking, on a daily basis. There is zero hunting I do without OnX. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So, when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out, there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. <laughs> can you, Matt, can you real quick, can you real quick, this is a this is a segue, or not a segue, but a, an aside. Can you real quick explain how you came to realize that, uh, that burning a moose dropping smells like, like, incense oh yeah um there was no creativity or like um sense of exploration on my part it's not like mm, i'll try burning let's try burning this see what it smells like i the guy that the guy that married me and my wife he's kind of a he's a long-term term friend of my life but he's kind of a a, a grizzled 
like guru naturalist kind of a fellow and a grizzled showed, a grizzled fellow who works with grizzly bears. He does work with grizzly bears. Or works yeah. not with them, but looks at them. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, I was at his house one night, and he all night there was this very pleasant smell in the room. It smelled like, you know how willows and aspen have that smell in the spring? Like yeah. if you go down to a river when they're starting to leaf out. Yeah, you're talking to Johnny Aspen over here. Yanni Aspen. Mm. Yeah. And then if you take one of those buds that's real sticky and you smell it, it smells so freaking good. That's what it smelled like. But this was in the winter. And finally, he didn't say anything about it. I just looked and he's like lighting one of these things. Moose pellets. Yeah. Um, he, he teaches at a wilderness school and one of his students, uh, this retired airline pilot, was, uh, he showed that pilot that trick and the pilot started a company called Moose Sense no. in Missoula, Montana. No. Where you can get online, you buy a little incense burner, and they send you some pellets. So is your buddy pissed? No, he don't care. He, you know, he was he, he wasn't looking to capitalize. He's not, he on. wasn't thinking of it as an entrepreneurial thing. Yeah, I, I don't know a whole lot about business, but I mean, I got that's got to be kind of like a fringe business. I can't imagine he's making more doing that than he was as an airline pilot. <laughs> that'd be I, yeah, that'd be interesting. So there you were. You had a lot of pain between your ass and neat mm-hmm. and got to thinking that the good times are through right you had to start hunting white tails out of trees right if i could hobble up a tree still that maybe i could rescue some fraction of my hunting lifestyle but uh th- then llamas came to the rescue uh haggy. i that my first two llamas were haggy and timmy like rescue rescue they didn't come to the rescue you came to the rescue i came to the rescue they were at a, uh kind of a ad hoc llama rescue center in Idaho. And I started communicating with a woman there that sold llama. It was called Llama Hardware is the name of the company. It's still in existence, but it's a different owner. About I don't know why I started chatting with her about saddles and gear before I even had llamas, but she was the one that found these two llamas. They were brother and sister. Uh, and... Those were my first llamas. I remember I was with you when I yep. first light, laid eyes on them. Over by, we went and went to a fellow named Jerry's place. Jerry Hansen in Billings, Montana. Lives yeah. on the Yellowstone. And if I'm not mistaken, from his window, he was showing us a, a old spot where he, I believe, could be wrong, that uh, an old spot where Calamity Jane... Oh, I don't have any recollection of this. Calamity Jane had uh, domiciled or something for oh, a while. I could be oh, wrong. Oh. And those things came off. I remember they came off that trailer. Yeah. And they were like as wild as if you went down mm-hmm. to South America and climbed up into the Andes and found a yeah. llama. Yeah. And at the end of the day, Jerry had clipped their toenails, put a saddle on them, and walked them around. And crossed some creeks. Cross creeks. With yeah. Them. Yeah. And... uh Quickly, they went from being uh, uh, grass-powered four-wheelers to being just 
uh, pets, kind of. I mean, they didn't think of themselves as pets. They they got tame enough to pack, but to me, I just I just marveled at them. I thought they were you liked them. Oh, liked I liked them so much. Yeah, it became and even now it's more this way. And even now, like I, I do most of my hunting alone, and a big a t- part of the attraction is being out there with my. I have four pack llamas now. Being out there with my my buddies, um, I, I want to get just a couple. I, I do want to get back to that, but just to, I, I want to give people a little bit of a sense here. So you got them because you like to hunt uh, in the back country. Yeah, and 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 the, not and, that there's fake back country, but I mean, like by any like by any working definition from the lower forty eight, we're talking like some of the most some of the most back country stuff outside of areas that you might encounter in the Frank Church or Bob Martin. Yeah, five to eight mile back, yeah, like, back in know, there. Yeah. Back, back in. And then, you know, when you kill an elk, you're moving. Well, you probably know better than anybody. Now got, I do because you got to scale. You got you to get the – you put some meat on one side, some on the other in a thing called a pannier. Um, and it's got to be with a llama they recommend within one or two pounds – Oh, look at that. There's a woman across the street picking wild asparagus. Oh, I was going to ask you if any asparagus is Must be. Yet. Should we uh, go yell at her? Well, I don't know. I, I could, but it's somebody else's property. So. Uh, Matt, just another side note. Matt, you know what? No trespassing signs. Matt, <laughs> you're on Matt's property. He, he put along the road signs that say trespassing allowed. <laughs> Yeah, nobody has taken me up on that. And oddly, yeah. he had a hard time finding a sign and had to make had to commission yeah, his own. Made. He had to custom make his own trespassing allowed signs because they are not for sale at Walmart. Yeah. You don't say. <laughs> that cracked me up when I pulled up. Oh, that's yeah. This is the first year I've had those. Trespass, I love those trespassing. Allowed. I've gotten some compliments on them. Is that like right? people kind of understand what I'm going for with them. Mm-hmm. You know. Do you remember that our old man? And Eugene Groters, mm-hmm. if someone put up no trespassing signs, they would go and just take them down. Well, it was ridiculous. Up where really? Eugene, up where this guy, we, this is a guy we idolized as children. He was, he was a, just a crazy, uh, funny as hell guy that was kind of a hunting, fishing mentor to us. And he had a cabin, quote unquote, up north from where we grew up. Which seemed like you were driving, it seemed like it was a million miles away. In, into the, the great beyond. It's like an hour away. And uh, yeah, it but, like you were, it's like you drove to Alaska when you went up there. <laughs> and then now when you drive, you're like, this is where it was? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went there a couple of years ago to see the old cabin. But uh, those guys were ridiculous. I mean, they had a no trespassing sign on every freaking tree on the border of their land. Yeah. You know? um, um, yeah, so... And you know what I was thinking about the other day is how crazy it is that... How quick it is that when you eat asparagus, it smells in your pee. It's like 20 minutes. Yeah. There's something in there. I, I've read how, that it's related somehow. In Harold McGee's very wonderful book, um, The Science and Lore of Cooking, he talks at length about why asparagus makes your piss smell. I have the same thing with coffee, though. Do you guys have that? Mm-mm. Makes your piss smell like asparagus? <laughs> <laughs> My first pee every morning. If I just left it, you'd go in there and be like, someone poured a cup of coffee in the oh, toilet. really? Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. You're leaving a lot of coffee goodness in the uh, on the table, it sounds like. 
I remember. Is it still brown? <laughs> no. You know why uh, beer goes through you so quick, right? I don't. Because it doesn't have change color. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah. How many pounds an out? You chop oh, up an out. So. Because I'm saying, because you know better. You know, everybody's always speculating, but you have to measure your. You right, have to weigh I know. Your, you have Boned to weigh out. the pioneers. Boned out. I used to say all the time, I've never gotten a big bull, um, but a, a young bull, like a four point, five point youngster, maybe two, three years old, uh, 200 pounds. I've shot two bulls. Of boneless meat. Boneless meat. I shot two a little older bulls, six points that were 250. Cows typically 160, and that's what I've been saying for the last several years. And that, so you're talking, um, uh, all the meat off the bone. Yeah. So boning out all the ribs, yep. not taking any no bones, bones with you, packing the no heart bones out. bones about it. Packing the heart out, and then uh, neck roasts, shanks. Yeah. Leaving on the ground, guts, bone, hair. Hide. Yeah. Hide. Um, and, uh, that, I don't know if, it, if people are listening, if you, you hear people say like, oh, I had a hundred pound pack, a hundred pound pack. That's a lot. Uh, it, yeah. You can do it. You can do it. We used to do it. A 100. Now I know. I didn't even know what they weighed when we were doing it. Yeah. But now I know because I've weighed well, a lot of elk. We would move. We would, we would move, take out a whole elk. We would move a cow elk and our camping gear in a trip. No. That's not true? No. We'd always go back for our camping gear a couple of weeks later after we could walk again. <laughs> yeah, you know what? We I remember, never I remember one out. year we left it and, wait, and didn't go get it till rifle opened or something like that. Yeah. Um, when so I that, think those about, are 280-pound packs then. You see, uh, you get 160 off a cow. Well, but we cut, carried out bulls in one trip. Really? Yeah. And then you're taking out antlers. And you, yep, yep. So I think that first bull you got with your bow, that was seven miles, and we took out the whole animal in one trip and came back for the gear a different weekend. Yeah. And I remember, oh, yeah, that was a different one. But I was to say that was the one where we went back and Grizzlies had eaten all the That was a different bones, one, yeah. yeah. But that, so people say like, oh, I had a 100-pound pack. Yeah, it is possible, but it is, it's, it's like – it is is not good for you. No, there, it is it, no, no. Don't guys in the military carry yeah. that kind of? Yeah, man, yeah. they should change that. Like, there's, it's just you're compromising your later years by. Yeah, I think they say in the military that you're expected to carry half your body weight. I think a fellow once yeah. told me. Especially in those areas where you got to carry a lot of water, where they're carrying water, and then and I, you can just imagine how expensive, how heavy ammunition is. You know, but um, no, when I, we first moved out here, we were so excited to hunt in the mountains and we just didn't care. Yeah. Painful pack. Out. Oh, man. It'd be like you'd get to a thing that used to happen to us in the area we hunted. We had to drive. It was probably about a, maybe like a 30 or 40 minute drive to the closest gas station. And you'd get down to the trailhead and like load your elk into the rig get in and then and then drive to the gas station and you'd oftentimes be locked up you'd be stove up by the time you got there i remember walking just into far the enough away lodge for dinner and you like 
walking like a cowboy going to a gunfight. You <laughs> yeah, know, you're like very hard to get out of the vehicle. Very hard to go in there and order um, a bean burrito and a Gatorade at the at the brown food yeah. station of the gas station. And um, yeah, it's grueling. Man, so, have you ever heard that story? Like Ryan Callahan's on your podcast a lot. I know about um, a guy. I think it was a he was an outfitter that Ryan used to work for that shot a mountain goat. No. Oh, you've got to hear that story. I could tell it right now, but it'd take three minutes. And then heavy pack outs ensued? Yeah. Is it worth it? Oh, it's such a good story. Please, please. Um, so I don't really give a shit if we covered this llama thing, but I would like to. Wait, how much, how far <laughs> in are we now? Not at all. Okay. Um, so Ryan's boss shoots a, a, a mountain goat eight miles back. He told me this at the cabin when we were fishing last summer. Okay. Shoots a mountain goat eight miles back in the mountains. And he's going to carry the whole son of a bitch out, which we all three know is a lot of weight if you're taking the hide. hide skull. Yeah. And he, but he's like, I'm going to take my time, you know. Um, and he's. Because he just did not want to walk back. Well, I didn't want to walk another 16 miles, you know, for a second trip. Um, so he's finishing up. And processing it and getting it packed up and here comes a grizzly bear and he puts his pack on and starts to get out of there and that bear is following him and that bear mercilessly followed him the whole eight miles back to his car huh smelling that blood yeah so the, instead of taking his time the guy was like uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. i'm gonna i'm freaking not stopping gets back, gets in his car, and drives into, uh, oh, it's right by Clearwater Junction where my wife's ranch is outside of Missoula. Why can't I um, think of the name of the town? But her her staff. Sealy Lake? No, it's just east of there. Like Connor? No. Oh, it's ridiculous. But anyway. It's the it's the it's, it's the second closest bar to the ranch, and her staff goes there. It's, there's a bar there called Trixie's. Not to, gr- not Greeno. No, um, there's a bar there called Trixie's in this little town. That's where all her staff goes. They always have bands there and stuff like that. Yeah, and you go there. Yeah, um, I remember when we got married. Fitz and Pooter, your college roommates, went there, and they thought it was like dusk till dawn in the bar and <laughs> dusk till dawn that quentin tarantino movie um and uh so he pulls in there and it's in the fall when nothing's going on and sunset no twin creeks no ovando ovando yeah okay. so he pulls in the driveway and his legs won't work at all and there's no one in the bar you can tell because there's no cars in the parking lot and he lays on the horn and the barkeep (laughs) comes out and he has her has her get him a six-pack and um she goes and gets it he pays for it and she sits in the truck with him just chit-chatting and then they end up becoming a couple really yeah that's That's a good story is that we're telling are they married oh yeah are they married now no they ended up splitting up yeah 
that it, they I get, was hopeful when I asked. I asked. Did the they same get question, married? But. No, I don't think so. Oh, yeah. Um. Yeah. Remember, why is it? Why is it that that makes the story just a little? Well, because we're romantic want, guys, I guess. People we want just want a story it all like, to work out. Yeah, because think about it. Like you'd be like, oh yeah, you know this old. You know, this guy, and he goes, and, like, whatever, he's in World War II. I'm just making this up, right? Mm. And gets gravely injured, and this nurse comes out and slowly nurses him back to health, right? Yeah. And towards the end, you're like, oh, so they... Yeah, they, yeah. When, mm. Now they got 19 yeah. grandkids and four, and you're like, no, no, they dated and broke up. It's just like... Yeah. just doesn't have the punch. Yeah. I love my wife I very, very much. Um, but even if I didn't, I think I'd try to make it work just so it could have a romantic ending you know that we because you wouldn't want people to be like no it'd be for myself yeah just my own myth you know that we pulled it through and made it work i don't know do you remember when you drew of course you remember you drew a mountain speaking of long walks you drew a mountain goat tag many many years ago and we got up pretty early at yeah. a trailhead yep mike mullen, mullen. Interesting fellow, this Mike Mullen, because he came to my wedding. That was the first time I'd seen him in twelve years, just a couple of years ago. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll tell God, you, God, I got stopped talking about marriage and being. Ma- uh, well, it's, I'm sorry, no, you, got, you, got, you got mentionitis about your wife. Mm-hmm. So it's good. So, <laughs> well, as much as I love her, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try to abstain from mentioning the rest of this so, conversation. Uh, interesting fellow, this Mike Mullen, and, and I just gonna touch on this before I talk about the 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 mountain goat you you got everyone knows now because of like grizzly bear issues and grizzly bear recovery and whatnot in the greater yellowstone ecosystem the thing you always hear like it's like a i call it one of those like malcolm gladwellian phenomenons where people love to act like oh it's really going on with grizzly bears you see who's malcolm oh he writes those books where he's like oh if you want to understand the whole world you just got to understand like dog leashes oh that'll explain it all. <laughs> okay you know or like whatever you know, i've never like, heard of i could picture that as yeah like a, it's so like a, he traffics in these like <laughs> the sum of knowledge through yeah, yeah like oh everything you ever want to know about x you just got a hockey right yeah, out yeah. so he um um he had a, he had a he's a very popular writer he's a lot smarter than i am but um uh Mike Mullen. Oh, sorry. People talking about grizzlies. The thing they like to bring up is that that the grizzlies don't have access to cutthroat trout anymore. Mm-hmm. And that always mm-hmm. struck me like, well, okay, you got a, you got a Yellowstone Lake used to have a population of uh, anadromous cuts, right? They would come out of the mm-hmm. lake and run up the rivers in the spring, and grizzlies would eat them. And everybody's always like, oh, that's why the grizzlies are, you know, whatever. They never make it because lake trout got turned loose in Yellowstone Lake, and the lake trout, des- you know, non-native. Put so the bears are getting testy because they don't have trout no, no, to eat anymore. You don't know. You don't know this whole narrative. Yeah, that's, I'm just helping you. Oh with yeah, that. okay, yeah. So lake trout get introduced in Yellowstone Lake. They decimate the cutthroat population, and now people talk about this like thing that like, you know, this big driving factor in grizzly dynamics is the lack of cutthroat trout that are coming up out of that lake. And it turns out they had done some analysis on this, and about 10 percent of the bears in the Greater Yellowstone ecosystem might have utilized cutthroat oh i didn't know that part so because that just struck me like you hear the same thing about pine nuts from white bark pine yeah. which is much more plausible i never i could never get on board with the idea that 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 losing an ephemeral like like some small fish for a brief period of time being available in a stream in a couple streams 
I'm like, that can't be enough. You intuited that it wasn't. Now, pine nuts, I was like, if you'd have told me that every bear was going to, when the pine nut epidemic rolled through that region, if you just said uh, all bears will die now, I'd have been like, yeah, that sounds like. (laughs) Right, right. I agree with that. Yeah. It's much more widespread food source that's available for potentially a longer period of time. Yeah. It's incredibly important. But I think. But it's not that important. No. If you listen to the interview we did with the the Frank Mannon, they're they're too adaptable. They got props. They have vulnerabilities, but that's not one of them. Anyhow, so there's a big thing to like go kill off all these lake trout. And right. they drop where there's no bag limit, no closed season. And I think you're not oh, even supposed to. You're, you're not back even. To Mike Mullen. Yeah, yeah back yeah, to Mike yeah, Mullen. Yeah. You're not even supposed to turn one of these lake trout loose if you catch them. And Mike Mullen gets wind of this big lake trout epidemic. And um, what's it called when there's too much of something? You wouldn't call it the epidemic, would you? Uh, what uh, would you call like a swarm of locusts? Yeah. A plague. An epi- an ep- not, not, that doesn't work in epidemic. We'll just call it. Whether it works or not, we'll just all agree that it was a lake trout epidemic. Mike Mullen gets wind of this and goes down, and he's like, well, I'll do my part. And starts going down there and catching a lot of lake trout. But then realizes he likes uh, lake trout fishing so much, he starts to worry for the future of these lake <laughs> trout, which everyone's trying to get rid of. And one day I'm talking to him, and he's talking about how he caught a couple and turned a bunch loose. I said, I thought you weren't supposed to turn those loose. And he told me, well, I'm just real afraid of damaging that fishery. <laughs> <laughs> He came with us on this goat hunt, and we walked. Who else is there? Colonel? Eric no, Kirk. Matt Moison. Oh, yeah, that's right. It wasn't Kirk. Yep, absolutely. Right. And we got up pretty early and walked nine miles and climbed a lot of footage. And I remember getting I remember getting where I felt like by the time that goat was on the ground, I was feeling like I was going to vomit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but altitude the, sickness was but the, setting in. But the magical thing about it, and I don't want to give too much away, but there's an area that has, there's an area we, where Matt still frequents a little bit that um, if you go in this area in like September, say, there are no elk there. No. And we've made a mistake of going, thinking. Oh, this is an interesting story. There yeah. are no elk there. Okay, they're just not. I've gone in there tw- twice now they're just not there. They're not there. But then the first week of October, there they are. Mm-hmm. We discovered that when we were up goat hunting that goat at 10,000 feet in the mountains, like in this. Like, no, we discovered we, that they were. When and how. Right. No, no, no. That's when we discovered that it even happened. Oh, is that right? Absolutely. Because my girlfriend. After that hunt, we're like all day we're up there at 10,000 feet in this craggy pass where no elk ever live. They would just go through there. They wouldn't just live rock. up there. And it was snowing and it was foggy. No, and it, we're gutting it was that October goat. October 7th. And it, we're gutting that elk, that gutting that goat and skinning it. And you could hear, do it, Yanni, the way off bugle. I'll buy it. Yeah. Sounded like the Rickola guy a little bit with Hit his horn. That wasn't your best. No? Still don't like it's it? Not, you're not doing it as good as you normally do it. Hit That's one more. That's what you're talking about? You're my, doing better my, than my, I can. He can do a way off bugle. Yeah. Do it one yeah, more. Yeah, he's a good caller for anything. Oh, very good caller. <laughs> do one more. Yeah, way off bugle. Yeah. And through the fog and snow, we see elk 
going over that pass. Screaming through that pass. That I'll was, always remember that night. Yeah. And then the next weekend, I hiked into where I thought they were going with my girlfriend. And it was Who a was point, your girlfriend back then? Elizabeth. Yeah. And um, Elizabeth Roberts, think about you once in a while. Love you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> not as that's much as my wife. <laughs> that's not true. But, um, uh, so we hiked in there. And you and I had already hunted in there because we went in there in June and there was elk all over the place. We thought, oh, this is the place to go elk hunting. And that was when we first moved out here. Because they calved in there. And then we, then then we, you're right now. You're right. You're right now. And then we went back in I there. I remember we sat there one time and counted. We were back there in June. We were leaning against a tree that had a chickadee hole in it. Mm-hmm. Saw a black bear. We were in they there counted, with our other, counted girl, like with 200, our other girlfriends. Counted like Astor 200. and Bridget. Counted 270 yeah. out. Yeah. Wow. And you saw a mountain lion. Yeah, streaking down through there. Yeah. So You're right. Then we went in there and tried to, we were going like, oh, this is the spot where all the elk live. And we went in back in there in September and there was none because they just are there in the spring and the winter. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then we found, so uh, what I want to tell about that is that night we went up and didn't want a grizzly to get it. So we wrapped that goat up in a tree, up in a subalpine fir. Yeah, right by our camp. Yep, but it got real cold, and that goat hide froze up in the tree. Do you remember how long we were up there climbing up that tree trying to get that thing back down? Mm-hmm. It was stuck to the we tree. We had it all wrapped up in the limbs, and it froze like a mm. rock, and we couldn't get it back down. No, I don't remember that. Um, I remember we were packing out. We ran into four dudes up there that were fishing in those lakes up there. I uh, don't remember that. I was like, really? You guys came all the way up here in this freaking frigid Snow and ass shit. to fly fish? Yeah. Not even a goat tag in their pocket. Yeah. Another quick goat story that I'd like to share is this happened to a friend of ours come out of the Air Force named Chuck Roberts. He shot a goat and it spilled off a cliff. And... um as they're wont to do. And, <laughs> and uh, he starts trying to climb down there <laughs> to try to get where he's going. So he came up one drainage, went to the ridge line, shot the goat, and the goat fell off the other side. Mm. Starts climbing down, trying to go down and find the goat. Who is this goat. guy again? Remember that dude the first time? First, I think it was the first time we ever went caribou hunting on the North Slope. That dude out of the Air Force. He used to oh, paint. Oh yeah. He used to paint. B, yeah. He used to paint B twos, and he wouldn't answer any questions about B twos because it was all classified. Right. Mary be like, "How do people fit in one of them B twos, Chuck?" Don't know. He was, <laughs> that guy was an accomplished outdoorsman, man. No. no. Yeah, he was. He had all. He like his gear was impeccable because he had worked. He had worked packing moose for a guy out on the peninsula. I thought he was good. Not a not, not an experience. Not spent, an experience outdoors. He had spent some time. Good guy. Well, maybe not experienced, but good. Like yeah, he might have just had been good from the yeah, outset. He, he without had, any experience. He had but. gone out and packed meat for an outfitter out on the peninsula. Because I remember he had um, he had what surprised me is I remember he had a, a, a loophole spot and scope and some loophole knockers, mm, which is yeah, in a Carhartt jacket. Nice. Yeah, um, he. You know, I hunted with him, just him and I, for a couple of days, and he was definitely the boss. Like, I deferred to him. 
Yeah, like I was just doing what he told yeah, me. Yeah, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to say anything bad about him. I, but anyhow, tries to go down to get the goat, and climbs, 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 and uh, it gets dark, and it was so steep where he was that he took some paracord and tied himself to some alders to sleep. Wow. Yeah. And set it up. Wow. Gets daybreak. Continues down looking for his thing. Finds it. There's a bear had just eaten it. <laughs> so, oh my god! Really? Yep. Punches tag, and now he's in the other drainage. So he's like, "Oh, what the hell? I'm not gonna climb back up and go back the way I came." And walks out that drainage, and why I can't already said he winds up 13 miles from his truck or something. Man, the drainage peeled way off and went off some other direction. My father-in-law, um, the father of a person I'm not going to mention the rest of this conversation. Uh, he shot a goat in the Louis did. Mm-hmm. Really? In the and this is like six, seven years ago now. In the bear tooths, and freaking Juanita's dad shot a goat. Yeah, it's in their house, mounted like the head. I mean, not that it's surprised. I mean, he's he's not like a, a team. He's like a dude. team roper and a yeah, yeah. He's more of a cowboy than a hunter type dude. Huh. But he does a little of the hunting. So he went like a got a, put in for a tag draw. Went with a friend of his. They went back on horses. He shot this goat, and bef- like as soon as the thing hit the ground, there was a grizzly on it. But they ran it off and got it. They got it. Yeah. I had a goat fall twelve hundred feet. Yeah. Yeah. I it, know you did. It. It was like a. You told me that it was like a bag with bone fragments and meat inside of yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's, the horns were gone. The head was split open. Um, the brain was gone. The lungs were tucked up in the, between the shanks and the hide. Mm. The hide was completely loose. Mm. You just had to make your opening incisions and the hide fell free. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And abs, not a, just, and you know what? I took that hide. So we went, we dug through it and got a little game bag full of meat and whatnot out of there. To, you know, this burger. And I took that hide and it's soon to be destroyed. And I went, we went down and I threw that hide in a creek and threw a big rock on it. And we had found an old, uh, an old plaster. Wait, mine. why did you do that? Because it was just, it was like, all it was was just gravel. Oh, you're trying to like, clean it up? I, just, I was trying to tell what was going on. I mean, oh. it was just gravel. We, like, drug it down. It was just, like, gray. We couldn't find the goat because the goat had turned the color of the of uh, the rock. Earth. Yeah. And it landed down, and, like, the scree slide tapered out and, like, became more granular, you know? Yeah. And at the bottom of the scree slide, it was just, like, a pulverized shale. And the goat's high was just so impregnated with that stuff. And we'd found an old abandoned plaster mine and took a, a propane tank and had a weed burning torch on it and we were aiming it at rocks. <laughs> yeah, I remember you talking about We were about aiming this. it at rocks. We'd get the rocks real hot and bring them in our tent, tent yeah. to warm up. But anyways... Um, it wasn't just like 80 degrees in there. Like, <laughs> yeah, you get it hot, but it wouldn't last. But uh, so after a while, I dragged that hide out. And the funny thing about it, the hide was angelic. And oh. not a nick on it. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. it looks great. Yeah. Just, but everything else is just trash. Didn't Chuck end up getting married to, or getting a girl pregnant and marrying her, but he didn't really like her very much? That rings a bell. 
Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best to find off-road trails and off-grid camping and to use fully functional GPS when you're out of service. And as we all know, that being out of service is usually where the best places start. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is it allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Just download the map ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline, so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. I've been using OnX for many years. I use it, I'm not joking, on a daily basis. There is zero hunting I do without OnX. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. It was shortly after, probably. Yeah, yeah. rings a bell. Yeah, it was like some kind of like... uh... I don't know, a prognosticative thing that him hanging off a willow tree, maybe he should have thought about the way his life was going. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, 
really like the like the child a lot. Yeah. Because he moved. He to reached it. out to you not too long yep. ago, didn't he? Not, well, and then you put him in now. touch with me. Yeah, years yeah. now. But he moved to Portland. Um. So, how many pounds will a llama carry? Eighty. 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 I put eighty on mine. Yeah, I think it used to be way more conservative than that. No, the first elk I packed out with my llamas with Timmy and Haggy, they carried eighty pounds apiece. And they were carrying it down. Something was like, it was so freaking steep that you were more sliding down it than walking down it. I remember and you they, saying that, well, uh, that mountain that you killed your first bull with, with a bow, I killed my first bull with a bow freaking 50 yards from that same spot. Remember that mountain? Yeah. I remember we That's made the, the sound of Timmy and Haggy's hooves, man. Freaking. I remember that we made the mistake so on the next hill tough. over of putting boned out meat in game bags and thinking we'd roll them down the hill. Yeah. And one of them burst, and we spent a long time looking yeah, for scraps oh yeah. of meat up and down that hill. The thing you got to realize about a, a, a llama, a pack llama, is that. You told me once that a llama will go pretty much anywhere you can go where you don't have to, to use, use your hands. hands. And I think what you have to realize about their psyche is that it it defies like um, human constructs. It's not their psyche is just so different than the human beings that it takes a long time to be able to identify with them. We're talking about an animal that is not snuggly, doesn't want to be touched, hates people. And I don't give a shit what I, anybody says. I Maybe know. not hate. I feel like if I, you know what I'd like to do sometime is have a, they make heart monitors that you can hook up to cattle for research purposes. I know this because of where I work as a cattle research place. I think that if you hooked up a heart monitor to my, one of my llamas and I go off hunting in the morning and you graph it, that they're, the, I could be wrong. I could so easily be wrong, but I think that their heart rate goes up a little tiny smidge, maybe one, two beats per minute. And then in the evening when I come back to camp, it goes back down. Yeah. I'll buy that. I think there's more to it. These are animals that when I try to catch them, they try to run away from me and I have to corner them in the pasture. But they probably there's probably a big gray area between being around you and being touched by me. And being like tied up to a rope. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like how many dogs want to be out and around, but that doesn't mean you want, they want you to grab them and shove right. them in the box. Right. 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 They don't, yeah. Um, they know it's work time. But I think that they, and, and another component is the same animal that like wants to run away when I'm trying to catch it, um, doesn't want to be pet. Man, there's pride and workmanship with those things. I swear no, to God. You're, you're getting way too complex. So you get this game face, this almost imperceptible game face when you put weight on their back. And really? Oh, I feel like you're misreading I it. probably am. Now, there's a I thing that you am. brought up about llamas a long time ago. We used to go do a little turkey hunting with the llamas. More for like, no, it was nice because you could bring some nicer camp stuff. Yeah, they, but, yeah, but they weren't necessary. A, a, a big yeah. motivation for it was you got to exercise them. That's BS. You I don't am. believe that anymore. No. like you, I have, you damn sure used to believe I it. I sure did. Yeah. But now I just say this. 
I just say what it really is. I like hanging out with my llamas a little bit. So yeah. you don't think that a llama needs to get be exercised? These four I have right now, all they do, well, either they're at peace, most 90% of the time they're at peace, but I'd say 10% of the day they're wrestling. And that wrestling is way more energy expending gotcha. than packing stuff. I mean, they go at it. They're trying to bite each other's nuts off and rolling on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Twisting their necks around each other, putting one neck, one puts its neck underneath another one and lifts it off the ground. So they're, they're like incredibly. So strong. they're doing a lot like more than see that. They're yeah, doing a lot cool. more than if you just took them out for a hike. Oh, yeah. But the thing I was gonna say is on these little jaunts we would do for turkeys with the llamas carrying a pretty nice can. You could bring like beer and. Yeah. You know, we'd bring fresh food instead of backpack food. Um, I remember you saying that uh, that that you felt that they kind of liked just being out walking. And I think they do. And the thing that you brought up is that 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 you can one way to read a llama. The only that's really you probably have many cues you're looking at, but for me, I'm looking at its ears. Right. Right. When he's got his ears cocked back, he might be fixing to spit on you, which is awful. They spit like a, they spit their stomach contents up at right. you. It smells. It's horrible. Yeah, I only had to happen one time where I really caught one flat ass square in the face. Wow. That's bad luck because they're spitting I at be- each other all all day long, right? They spit at each other <laughs> all, all the time. Holds yeah. each other down. But <laughs> these, these four guys, these four I have now, it's like all they do is fight. Like if I stop on the trail, they stop start fighting. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, mean, I only, I only spent, it. what, yeah. it was four or five days. If you're hiking, they're <laughs> fine. But you stop and give them two minutes, and they're like, oh, I guess I'll start a fight. But that's what, that's what I'm saying. Like, walking on the trail with them, they get their ears forward. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they're not like moving. Like, a lot of times a llama's moving because you're behind it. Right. right. And he's like, hey, what, 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 what? So he moves, you know. But they kind of like get going down the trail. And he really looks like a dude walking down the trail who's real really intent on going. For, like, yeah. picture you're walking down a long trail and it's all shitty and you're just in thick timber. And then you get out in like some big meadow, you know, along a stream, right? And there's trails and you can find, look around. You're just like, that's what the llama seems oh, like. Oh, yeah. He's like digging Like a dude it. is like, he's digging oh, God, it. there's got to be something yeah, in here, man. Yeah, now yeah. we're going to see something. Yeah. And these four, I like, unlike my first string, um, who like sometimes sometimes weren't real anxious to go these four i got now god there's i don't even know they're back there they're just always loose rain right there with me they just want to freaking make tracks what's a llama what's a good race ready llama cost because you had some shitty llamas and then you got good llamas <laughs> well i don't know Hagee was my probably my favorite she oh. was 50 bucks from that rescue center so um, Haggy proved to be a good llama. She was fabulous. She was as good as the high test llamas that you have now. Yeah, my least good llama. Haggy was everybody as good as the ones I have now. But you pay considerably more now. Well, it depends on which one we're talking about. I got one of them out there. I paid an eye-popping twenty-five freaking hundred dollars for. Yeah, and I remember that. And he's uh. He's probably the worst one. He's the cutest one, and I so I really I, I adore him. He's super cute, and he's got a lot of character. But in terms of a pack llama, he's good, but he's not any better than the other ones. One of them I got for free. 
One of them I got because I lent my llamas to a guy for the summer. So and that llama escaped for a packing and, business and lives up in the Tetons. Now. No, no, that was a different company. Oh, um, that was Haggy that got is still live at large in the Tetons, but uh, <laughs> that's given her the benefit of the doubt. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It is. Um, Haggy, no. who's a pile of bones up in the Tetons. So one llama I paid twenty five hundred bucks for one. People just gave to me. These people lived up by, by Seattle. Just gave her Kim to me, Jay. Uh, they call it, They named him Journey, which I think that's dorky, so I call him Jay. Um, for free, they said, "quote unquote." He needed a job, yeah. um, and uh, it's funny. I went over to get him. They were. He lived up by Seattle. You drove over there to get a llama? No, oh. I did. I drove to. I drove, they are like, well, we're going to go to Coeur d'Alene with our llamas. Uh, this was summer 2016. And um, so I was like, oh, bring Jay and I'll get him there from you then because that's way closer. 12-hour drive still. And what I did is I didn't want to take my horse trailer all the way over there, so I took the back seat out of my pickup truck and drove over there and the reason they were there is they were carting their llamas it's all these retired couples what's carting a llama mean like they got little llama chariots and they drive them around this (laughs) (laughs) this part which i got to do and was a freaking blast and when i'm a retired person that's going to be my shtick totally (laughs) like ben-hur yeah oh yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) I, is Shifty going to roll? Oh, right next this to one woman had a little art. You're not allowed to have dogs off leash in this park. It's like a huge park with trails all over for horse riding. And there's like llama signs like this is a llama trail. This is a horse trail, which I couldn't believe. So she had this little arm coming off her cart with a clip off of it. And that was for her dog. Like a sidecar. <laughs> yeah. Except the dog had to run. You know, it's like, a, but um so that's where I got Jay for free. One of my llamas I got for free because the people... Because he sucked at carting. No, they never tried him carting. Oh. Um, he just wasn't being used for anything. Well, you met that guy that was his owner. Remember, I, I had you give him some seafood for oh, me. Oh, that guy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, oh, yeah, nice guy. Yeah, super nice guy. What, tw- Arnie, 2500 bucks. Uh, Ooh, no wonder I liked Arnie. Tad. Jay, a sack of seafood. Tad, I would have bought for 1000 but people bought, or 1500 but people bought him for me because they lost Haggy. Um, Jay was free, and Louie I got for free because I lent my other llama, uh, my llamas to a guy for the summer. Did you name that llama after your father-in-law? No, he, he came pre-named. I guess he named after Louis and Clark. Have you so ever far. named a llama? It'd be a good name. It's, a, it's like he is, if I had to pick a, a llama that is like my father-in-law, I would pick him, though. Is that right? He's but you've never gotten you've short. Never gotten my name father's one. full-blooded Filipino, and he, so he's short, but he's like very, he's in his mid-70s, but he's very athletic and tough and this and this is like a short squat little llama louis not squat but this llama's short when he says he looks like a hippopotamus 
doggone it, I didn't mention my wife again. <laughs> um, but he's super tough. He does remind me of Louis. Yeah, he's cool. I, I, I was Louis I, the I Llama or Louis, Louis the Man? Louis, Louis, I haven't met Louis the Man, but Louis the Llama is my favorite. Mm. And then I think that uh, Arnie was my second favorite. Mm. Now, you used to have a llama that had gotten uh, hung up in a fence. Majel. And got his jaw jacked out of alignment. Yeah. Awesome, awesome llama. So I, there are pictures. If you want to see pictures of mass llamas, all you got to do is go buy the complete guide to hunting, butchering, and cooking wild game, volume one, and you'll see the that, that's our guidebook. Oh, you'll see that was kind of a sly it's little plug. Yeah, <laughs> plug. Yeah, Ma- uh, Majel. I when I got all these boys, and now I got four boys. I it would have it would have been a they because they don't know that they're fixed. Oh man. They would, they are always wrestling and fighting now. If you put a girl out there, it would be game on. They don't know they're fixed. Mm-mm. So it doesn't take away urge. No, no. I didn't know Arnie, that. I, for a while I had Arnie and two girls. Oh, man, he just freaking ride him constantly. So in the old days when they would make eunuchs, they would take humans and make eunuchs to guard harems the eunuch would feel all those urges. Oh, I don't know about that. Maybe something's different with the camelid physiology. I don't know. I'm just saying. All I know is Arnie is a freaking stud without balls. Yeah. Um, so now when you're out hunting and you kill when you're by yourself and you kill a bull, like when you're walking into the mountains, you're not carrying shit. Just no. your bow and arrow. I, well, I got my camp. But why? Why not have the llamas carry? They're not carrying anything. Oh, me personally, yeah. Yeah. Like you walk. I in- carry a backpack and with a few like. Because if you take a bunch of shit out of one pan, you're then you got to balance them out and all that. So anything I need for the day, I have it on my back. Yeah. And when you kill an elk, if you got four llamas, you can move one elk by yourself with how many llamas and not have to carry anything. Well, except your camp. I've done it with two. I, like I say, Timmy and Haggy, they packed out my first archery bull, but it felt a little bit um, irresponsible. Too much weight for him. But three, no problem. So, now I got four, and that feels rock solid. So if one of them died, would you replace it, or would you be like, sweet, three's good? No, well, I think I'd, I think it's always, I think I would always have four. It's just no harder to have four in that way if some, one of them gets sick or, um, you know, just a little bit of it. It's it's just no, not any more hassle to have a fourth one. I feel like one time we took those llamas and carried out three deer on them. In down Custer Forest or something? Yeah, we were going somewhere. I remember I, you shot a white-tailed doe on the way in. Yep, yep. Then we killed a buck. Shot some other deer, put them on there, got dark, had an argument about how to get out of there, swung through and picked up that doe. I think we had three deer three on deer. two yeah. and our backs. Yeah. Now, you uh, transporting the llamas, you used to carry your llamas around in a van, mm-hmm. a 12-passenger van. All those retired people when they, were pa- when they were doing that llama carting last summer, all of them had vans to carry them. Llama in. vans. Llama vans and my llama van, man, llama van, tricked out ones like mine. But I, but I want uh, okay, go ahead. But I my wanna, yeah, we'll get back. I I might cover this in the course of this. So yeah, no, I, I co- want to cover how 
piss flows through a llama van. Oh, we're not going to get into that because what I was going to tell you is, <laughs> yeah, my, my van was full of piss and shit. But, um, but yeah, they're basically just like what you'd call like an econo line, right? His was a Dodge, but yeah. Yeah, like a yeah, 15 well, no, passenger van, short, windows. You get a stubby line. I got so much attention on the expressway in that thing. At gas stations. I'd have... Dude, if you went to get gas, gas yeah. you had to plan on having a marathon bullshit session with at least four <laughs> or five guys. You just know just getting gas and getting going. Um, yeah, and then like on the interstate, you know, you'd see somebody coming up to like pass you, and then you'd lose... You'd lose, I'd lose them in my blind spot for mm-hmm. like a minute, and it's because they're like just freaking gawking at the llamas. llamas. And but uh, these people, these retired couples, they had nice fans carpeted, and these llamas because they spend so much time with them, it was like compared to my llamas, these llamas were like I, it just ridiculously tame. But they must and have they, gasketed. They must have gasketed. The they take they take their llamas out every two hours at rest stops yeah. and let them go. But did they them gasket back the area? Because like you know the bottom, picture a van with no or a pickup truck bed with no liner. It's cor- It's like a, it's not corrugated, but it's like a corrugated like there's troughs. Right. It, it, well, to put it in rifle terminology, there's lands and grooves. Right. And I remember you text you text screwed a piece of angle iron across there, but it didn't. That wasn't that wasn't to keep urine out of the front of the van. Oh, that was just that was because I had an expanded metal grate between me behind the seat to keep them the llamas from like slamming into the freaking yeah. Uh, I don't know the front of the van if I we if I hit the brakes real quick. Yeah. So if you do hit the brakes, what I had what piss. I had was laying. I had along that piece of angle iron. I had uh, some. Beach towels. To, That's right. Yeah. To try to to keep so if urine if urine started riding up that way, yeah, you'd slam the brakes and the urine would kind of come up and it'd get up and then you'd take off <laughs> and the urine would flow back away from you. Yeah. The thing I like about this is I feel like your first date. I know I'm bringing her up this time. Your first date with your wife. Did you show up with that van full of llamas? She met me at a motel. And I had the van there, and I had the llamas in a corral outside the motel. But in your first date, she you guys were introduced by friends. In your first date, she got into that van full of those llamas, and you guys went up and killed a bull. No, second date we killed a bull. The first date we struck out. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, but she grew up around livestock, horses, high test horses. She loves the llamas. Um. I'm often like, why don't we, because I'd like to do it, like go on horses once, just see what that's all about. Like, and I was like, why don't we take some of the horses and go? And she, she can't even conceive of that. She's like, think of those horses that way. She, no, because they use them for day riding. It's, she's like, why in the world would we do that when we can take the llamas? Oh, she likes llamas better than horses. She's just, they're too much work. And she's right. You know, a horse, you got to take it to water twice a day. Llamas don't give a shit, man. I've had my llamas out for eight days at a time, and I always lead them to water once a day, you know? Um, But I've had them out for eight-day trips where they didn't drink a drop. These llamas, 
they're happy if you park them next to like a stand of dead juniper they're like that's yeah, cool bro yeah. i'll eat this yeah <laughs> or a dead tree like i'll just eat these twigs that's cool do you have you ever had like a uh train wreck you know how people talk about like and i've seen it with like pack strings right where mm-hmm. <clears throat> we i never did too much of the packing but the wrangler would be packing up gear or clients at the base camp and we'd be haunting the meadow and you'd see him ride through and then like mm-hmm. an hour later all of a sudden here comes zippy the mule with you know the lead rope dangling in the wind oh. stuff just coming out of panniers you know and then like an <laughs> yeah. hour later here come the wrangler and we'd help him pick up the trail right of, of stuff like are llamas capable of, of, of a train wreck of like yeah no no, the most drama I've had is Haggy used to, when she would get loose, she thought it was funny to run back to the car. And if you could be way back in there three miles and you could hike in there the whole way, freaking off trail. One time I was in a boat, I put them in a boat, Timmy and Haggy in a boat, and we drove five freaking miles and packed in three miles and she got loose and she ran back to the boat. <laughs> <laughs> I remember losing that damn llama and finding it at the car, smell, man. Yeah, yeah. Thinking there's no way it found that car. Yeah, yeah. But that no, nothing like that. I saw we saw. Steve. Oh yeah. Was it? We had these guys, these horse guys coming through, and we stood. We got. We were backpack hunting, and we got uphill the trail like you're supposed to do, and got clear. And their horses got even with us. And this is they were elk hunting. The last one was a mule. The one that. Freak. Freaking freak. And yeah. you, I mean, rolling down the hill, shit flying everywhere. Wooden, wooden panniers wooden, banging off the trees, splintering. Yeah, wooden, old school wooden panniers just bursting. And I remember, do you remember what that guy yelled up the hill? What the fuck you guys got on? Yep. Backpacks. Yeah, elk yeah. meat. Elk meat, brother. Something of your horses <laughs> wouldn't know what it smelled like. <laughs> our, our, uh, I think we actually said that. Yeah, it's funny Elk, how your like, horses must a not know that smell. A man will freak a horse out. Yeah, oh. I, I've heard that many times oh. now. I feel bad. I don't mean to be laughing at the brother's misery, but his response of what we got on is though there's like some like deeper explanation. Yeah, I think he was an outfitter and he was trying to be like to his clients, like my they yeah. these guys are messing up. It's not my exactly. my stock that's messing up. Our uh, brother, our older half brother, who was a. Uh, elk and he, he was an elk guide but did a lot of other kinds of you know auxiliary hunts he was saying that when they would kill a lion um he would do lion he had a houndsman that he worked with and when they would kill a lion those horses would not want to pack that lion obviously you don't they don't want a lion on he back. guided lion hunters yeah they he i remember him telling me that they would cut Joe. a track and now I know. Now name. I go know guys to do this. Him saying, "Oh yeah, we won't call the client until we cut a track." I remember him call, telling me that he had a client in Dallas. Called that guy. Says we cut a track. The guy flew up. <laughs> but he was saying they would just go. He'd go up to the line or whatever, and just get his hands drenched in blood, and then go up and rub that on the horse's face. Because mm. then he can't tell where the smells coming right. from. Then once he calms down, you can put the thing on his back because he just can't tell oh. like what he's trying to get away from anymore. You ever had a llama that didn't want to pack meat? <sighs> Llamas don't care about that at all. They'd pack a llama. They would, you could they, chop they, up yeah, a llama and put it yeah. on his back. Yeah, you could put Satan himself on a llama's back. He would not care, man. <laughs> they don't care about that. <laughs> all right, man. We've only got a third the way. Um, 
We've talked a lot about llamas. No, I know, but not all of it. And, 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 and I don't usually like to mix uh, business and pleasure, but I'm, uh, I'm here with my older two youngsters, and I need to go get them. Oh, I thought you were saying we hadn't talked about llamas enough. No, no, no. I want to talk about no, llamas. I'm dying to see I my would continue to talk way more about llamas, but my my uh, my 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 boy and my girl are are uh, with one of my closest friends. Yeah, and, and they're here kids. to fish catfish with their uncle Matt, and I got to go fetch them. Um, yeah, you guys are definitely going to be fishing catfish by the looks of the tongue. Dude, river. that river is rolling. It's good though. It's good. Yeah. For catfish and for, I think we're going to catch some sturgeon. I'm optimistic, man. Sturgeon? Yeah. High water, good sturgeon fishing. Shovel nose. Yep. Not pallets. Yanni, uh, concluding thoughts? That was it. This podcast it's interrupted. Rolling. That was your concluding thought. Yeah. yeah Yanni was, uh, um, you know, Yanni's uh, Rocky Mountain Squirrel Foundation. He was scouting. Um, Scouting squirrel spots today. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, and I'm. How, how far is that? That's probably thirty. No, an hour from here. Closer. Oh, not even. If it was foresight, that was forty-five minutes. No, 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 I'm farther. Oh, yeah. Heisha. Oh, don't okay. be telling. No, it wasn't that place. Oh, why are we naming towns? I don't know. That's stupid. Yeah, we're gonna have to bleep that out. Um. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, I found squirrel sign and turkey sign. Mm. Mm. Good. Uh, Matt, concluding thoughts. We, I know we didn't get we didn't cover everything. Um, we uh, th- no, this was fun. I thought that we would. I was afraid that we wouldn't have anything to talk about. No, 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 no. <laughs> that don't happen. Something about putting on a headset and having it be all official, like other people might listen to it, makes it makes you a little chattier. Yeah, it does. And then the the, the it has the quality I'll, of. Pardon me. I'll be here to say that it does not make you guys any chattier. Oh, really? We're yeah. like this normally, you Pretty think? Pretty much, yeah. Hmm. hmm. Pretty chatty gentleman. You got any concluding thoughts? That was it. Oh, that was a concluding yeah. thought. <laughs> My concluding thought is... Um, I think it's very polite of you to ask if we had clu- concluding thoughts. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of times something you want to say that you just can't quite wedge it in there, you right. know, and, and you do it. But um, my concluding thought. Oh, one, I, I, had, like I had an interjection I want to drop in earlier, but I didn't quite get a chance to say it when we were talking about. Well, by uh, all means, interject. How <laughs> you guys thought you guys were going so far when you're going up to that guy's cabin that was an hour <laughs> away. Yeah. Up north. So last weekend, we're telling our kids we're going camping to Lewistown or Lewiston. I don't know how you pronounce Lewistown. it. Why Lewistown. You dro- why are you dropping like every single Oh, yeah. What's the deal with this? Town? Lewistown, New Hampshire, right? No, listen. <laughs> you can go camp a gazillion places. <laughs> Lewiston, Idaho. Okay. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you can yeah. go camp a million places in this state. They all have names. Um, <laughs> so we're just going camping. Everybody go camping in Lewiston, okay? But we're telling our kids we're going camping in Lewiston, and my youngest says, uh, is that North America? <laughs> <laughs> Like, yep. Uh, yep. Yes, it is. Yeah. Montana, North America. <laughs> uh, I don't think I have. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I got. I got. Like, it doesn't count. I have too many concluding thoughts because um, I feel like we didn't. We didn't get everything. But I, but I would like to say that it's been really um, fun to. It's been fun to watch 
all the, uh, the all this llama stuff take place over the years. Mm. Mm. And, yeah, and, and be involved. It started in it. out. It started out as like a. They started out as instruments, and then they became a like a just part of the family. To yeah, me. and yeah. you've just learned so much. About yeah, it. yeah. I feel like now still learning. Yeah, but I feel like now, um, you know, I feel like now you've gotten to a point where you're almost like uh, probably finding out things about them that people don't know or that Americans don't know. Right. I feel like I've got some insights on on their that I couldn't have got from my llama mentors. You know, when yeah, I was first and that's an interesting out. thing. Yeah. Like in in the field of like like when discussing just the idea of expertise. It's interesting when, when uh, to see someone cross the threshold mm. where you, you spend a long time accumulating what's known. Right, and then you start to delve into... Yeah, your, and then yeah. you cross this thing and you, and you start being able to say like what you found. Yeah, eventually becomes like an interaction between the way your brain works and... I guess in this case, the animal you're dealing with, you yeah. know, which is unique to you. You know, it's not something that can be taught anymore at that point. Exactly. Um, in talking to Kevin Murphy, uh, I, I know it's like, I know that he has found out things like he knows things about squirrels and squirrel dogs that are not known by other individuals. <laughs> right. And I become friendly with a guy named Tommy Eidson in, in Seattle. We started out as email and text buddies but we met recently and like his he likes to fish crappies even though he's from the pacific northwest born and raised likes to fish crappies and um talking to him about crappies you're like he's crossed that threshold Mm -hmm. Mm. he knows stuff about crappies that other guys don't know yeah like he's found out stuff right and then you can be the kind of jackass who thinks he knows stuff about the other people don't know but he don't which is insufferable. Yeah. I don't think there's any motivation for me like that with me and my llamas. I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody. I'm never even around other llama people. You, you I but, just want my llamas to be happy and well cared for. That's all. But I you care use about. the term the llama community. Yeah, but I And just, you talked about being ostracized. Not that you were, but that it would be possible. We two used to, to talk about because I I've had a few that I had to get rid of because they didn't work out about out as pack llamas. And I had a lot of anxiety that they'd be hard to get rid of. That turned out to not be true. You'd be ostracized by but the llama community. that I was like, man, I'm going to have to butcher this thing and put it in my freezer, which would be heresy in the llama community. To eat one. Yeah. Did I tell you that I ate llama? Yes, you did. Yeah. Stringy, as I recall. It was just like in a, it was in a, it was in an Andean, it was outside of Salta, Argentina. And it was in like an Andean, version of a I'm spacing name what's that dish uh you know people associate with like Mexican food it comes wrapped in the corn husk oh tamale oh, tamale, tamale yeah. it was in like which a, are good man yeah oh very good it was in a sort of Andean uh, a tamale with kind of an Andean spin I guess mm. and there was llama meat in there and I mean it could have been a person's meat in there you wouldn't have known it mm. you know I mean just right was, I remember yeah. being stringy and light there's a not like offensive a, a regional chain in town. Uh, there's a uh, a restaurant's part of a regional chain chain in in town in Miles City here called the Ribbon Chop House. And I remember, and once in a while they'll have something out of the ordinary. I had uh, alligator there a few years ago, but I know for a while they had llama on the menu really? for a couple of weeks. Yeah, 
I ate some horse once. I'd like to try that. Everybody says that's delicious. Yeah. All right. Yanni, any last little, did you pick up any last little concluders? No. No. Matt, you good? I'm good. Thanks for joining us, man. This has been a great uh, discussion, and I would like to um, resume. Yeah, we should definitely continue. In the, in the, in the near future. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close... You can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give them the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like them. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.